Okay, well, welcome everybody. Um, there are three of us here today. Um, I'm Erica Carter from the Department of German Studies. I'm Christina Achinger, also from the Department of German Studies. And I'm Jeff Ely, visiting at the Institute of Advanced Study from, uh, from uh, the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, the United States, and I am in the History Department and the German Department there, and currently chairing the History Department. Okay, thank you. Um, I, I think it's probably best if we start by sketching a little bit of the background to this visit. Um, it's, it's a visit that, well, I think it's probably fair to say that there are long-standing links informal links between Warwick and Michigan um, and the Institute of Advanced Study or the founding of the Institute has made it possible for us to uh, begin to kind of formalise those links or at least have Jeff here for longer and think about um, how, we might, how we might build on a relationship that's already been there for a number of years. Um, your visit's been sponsored, Jeff, by, largely by the German department, but we've also involved the departments of history and sociology and film, and there have been people from all around both of arts and social sciences faculties attending your various lectures and seminars, which we'll talk about later. But um, maybe we could start by just thinking about um, uh, the re not that relationship between Warwick and Michigan, but why Michigan is a particularly propitious place to start thinking about questions of interdisciplinarity. Well, um, in some respects, Michigan has a longer history of interdisciplinary um, interests of a particular kind. And in the past, they've been structured more around the hard social sciences and the natural sciences, where much of the default activity is interdisciplinary in a certain way, you know, in terms of, because, for example, uh, after the Second World War, the Institute of Social Research was created, which is, you know, one of the national powerhouses of quantitative social science research in the United States. And in the part of the university that I live in, we tend not to think of that as interdisciplinary, you know, it's not part of our particular world, but actually it's an incredibly important flourishing interdisciplinary context of its own in a way that links sociology, political science, psychology, demography, survey research of, of mm -hmm. all sorts, elect electoral research and so on opinion polling, so, you know, but basically survey, survey research is its main idiom. Um, but more recently, as far as the humanities and the softer social sciences are concerned, um, the, the, the institutional culture of interdisciplinarity in Michigan is a much, is, has much more recent provenance and dates really from, from the late 1980s accelerating into the early 90s until really by, by uh, the start of the new millennium, um, it, it's become um, the sea in which we all swim, mm. in you know, that part of the university that we live in. I mean, that I live in and that you would live in if mm. you were there. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, and it has a variety of explanations. Uh, which um, it, 
you know, it would be very interesting to uh, to uh, to describe if we had time. But the, the the infrastructure that makes it work is provided by joint appointments, mm. and that actually took shape as um, as as a, as a practice uh, gradually. Um, really in the early 90s and then uh, uh, cumulatively started to uh, sort of um, cumulatively uh, 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 transmuted into a strategy which now uh, the college which is the you know the umbrella institution for uh, for humanities social sciences natural sciences, which the college now uses fairly systematically. And obviously at a time of relatively scarce resources, that can also be a way of maximizing the effect of appointments. Sure. And that will usually be, you know, 50-50 between two, two units. But it can be 75-25. Very, very, very occasionally, it, there's also a three, three-way split. You know, like half, half the appointment in, say, history and then a quarter in women's studies, a quarter in American culture. But that's pretty except, exceptional because who wants to be split three, three ways in that kind of fashion? And so that provides the continuity. Mm-hmm. It provides the, you know, and it, it, it ensures an institutional commitment. And if you do it in a very elaborate and systematic way, then it acquires a set of protocols and procedures also that allow it to work without it damaging the person who happens to be occupying the joint appointment because mm-hmm. obviously the danger of joint appointments, particularly for junior people, is that it can be, you know, amount in practice to a hundred percent in two different places. So, you know, over time we've developed uh, you know, a series of um, rather carefully specified protocols that you know, the two chairs are supposed to observe. We have now with every joint appointment a memorandum of understanding, mm-hmm. right? Which lays out what the expectation, what the reasonable expectations are across the two units, and which are intended to provide the necessary protections for the person occupying the position. So does that? Yeah, begin no, no, to that's that's really helpful describe? in terms of the institutional framework, and we've talked about that a lot over the last few days about how um, there has to be some kind of drive from from the bottom up, as it were, for interdisciplinarity, but that that drive will always founder um, if there isn't some kind of institutional, overarching institutional right. structure. And that's why, that's one of, well, that's a major reason for the, for the founding of the Institute of Advanced Study. But I was thinking back to your lecture, which you called being undisciplined, what are the stakes, I think, of interdisciplinarity today? And, and we, did, we had an interesting discussion there um, about the kind of prehistory of yeah. those institutional developments that you're talking about. I'm, 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 thinking about I'm, I'm thinking about some of the questions that came up, sort of slight, slightly sceptical questions, really, um, about, well, why do interdisciplinarity? And, and I know how that debate works in... I mean, I, I come, as you know, from sort of a combination of German studies and cultural studies, and certainly within cultural studies, there was this kind of um, major push for interdisciplinary research, which would always be determined by 
in, in the early years, certainly, or, or for a very long time, by a set of political con considerations. So a set of questions would evolve, a, a, a problematic would be developed around um, issues of um, working class cultures or uh, youth subcultures or whatever it might be, um, fields which were always heavily politicised and then interdisciplinary frameworks would be found around that. Now that was that was kind of the, the prehistory of cultural studies but as cultural studies moved then it moved into institutional spaces and, and departments were set up and undergraduate curricula and so on there was a, 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 a debate which is still going on I think now about um, the fact that cultural studies also fits with another agenda of the academy which is about bums on seats bringing in students making making the academy attractive and kind of emptying it certainly emptying cultural studies of a political content and there's a you know there's a question about how far that political content can be sustained in a in a in an institutional environment but also perhaps emptying it of some of the disciplinary um kind of backbone i can't think of another word um that would mean that scholarship goes on, mm -hmm. I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, and I just wonder, um, yeah, I, I wonder what is interdisciplinary, interdisciplinarity for mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. now, and what was it for, you know, as as this development that you've not that you've traced uh, began. Well, I think that nationally in the U.S. and who knows how these movements you know, begin to converge together and clearly ha happening in many different places at the same time. I mean, uh, uh, so that's really a, a question of contemporary in intellectual history and the politics of knowledge in, in, mm. in the academy and so on. In Michigan, there was a very specific uh, crisis inside the university around question questions of race in 1986-87, which obviously had a longer context behind it, going back to the late 60s and the early 70s, and which also involved University of Michigan's relationship to Greater Detroit, um, and, uh, and which also further resonated with the national politics of race in the 1980s. Um, you know, which is a forever unfinished agenda in, in, in the US mm. uh, and has been uh, uh, an ever-present uh, preoccupation in national and local politics, you know, since the era of the civil rights struggles. So a local crisis erupted around race involving some very ugly incidents among uh, undergraduates in 1986-87, which then escalated in a spectacular fashion, uh, the height of which Jesse Jackson flew into the university and mediated a, a kind of a public forum between the extremely well-organized black students and the, universe, and the university president and officers. <clears throat> and in response to that crisis, uh, the incoming president of the university and uh, those who were advising him announced um, uh, three commitments programmatically behind which major central resources were then put. And the first was the, overall, this was the Michigan mandate. Uh, and the first uh, 
piece of this, the mandate proper, was for affirmative action. It was to make Michigan the multicultural university of the 21st century. <laughs> Secondly, was, uh, he, uh, came, second came the women's agenda. And third was to interna internationalize the university. And over the next seven years, a series of institutional innovations occurred which involved real internal reallocation of resources, the creation of you know, new institutional frameworks, including uh, an institute for research on women and, gen and gender, and including an international institute that gathered in all the area study centers. And historically, since the late 50s, Michigan has an area center for pretty much every um, uh, area. Mm. Uh, rather, you know, fairly exceptionally for among uh, U.S. universities, and uh, there was a huge push to um, uh, increase minority recruitment at all levels: faculty, graduate students, and, 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 especially, and, and especially undergraduates. Mm -hmm. um, and that really carried through until uh, a few years ago, when you know the problem proposition was passed in, in the state which uh, prohibited affirmative action right. in, uh, in, uh, in uh, the universities at the level of undergraduates. Mm. I mean, because the, uh, faculty recruitment is a federal mm. issue, because mm -hmm. it's employment, and so that's still intact. Anyway, to cut a much longer story short, that you know, set of local political and institutional histories mm. converged with, uh, with uh, a kind of ferment uh, across the disciplines and a certain demographic tra transition among the faculty <laughs> to allow you know, a very uh, broad uh, sort of collective intellectual and pedagogical project to develop inside the university, which over the following 10 years basically succeeded. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, with that infrastructure of joint appointments that I mentioned and other commitments of resources, you know, especially behind particular programs that were relevant to the mandate, like uh, African and African American studies, mm -hmm. women's studies, um, and American culture, three, through three um, sort of uh, programs, <laughs> they're not departments, they're programs. Um, and avowedly interdisciplinary, you know, by their very formation. I mean, they are the classically undisciplined areas of uh, of, uh, of um, academic work and, and and teaching in the university. Um, because major resources were put in those particular places, joint appointments took off rather rather quickly mm -hmm. in the course of the nineties mm -hmm. because. This is no. Sorry, this is slightly technical, but uh, tenure cannot be cannot uh, now. Now again, this has changed. So with every increment of this, the, the growth of this, you know, history that I'm describing, uh, policies get changed. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when the joint when the push for joint appointments began, uh, tenure could not be held in a program; it had to be held in a department. Mm -hmm. So in other words you could not have a 50-50 joint appointment between, say, American culture and women's studies mm. 
because the tenure had to be housed in a department like history or English, mm -hmm. right? Well, that's now been changed. Mm -hmm. you know, so, so in other words, the institution has been extremely adaptable in its willingness to, you know, make the procedural changes that would help this system to of interdisciplinary and collaborative work function more, you know, more, more, uh, more successfully. Um, and as far as, um, you know, the, the sort of the generational uh, aspect of this, I mean, uh, the, in many ways the crucible of the interdisciplinarity that I'm describing was a particular program called the Program on the Comparative Study of Social Transformations, CSST. There was originally a consortium of faculty from history, anthropology, and sociology, but which then rapidly broadened out into the humanities, particularly under the aegis of what was then cultural studies in formation mm -hmm. in the United States. And, and it was launched, as it happens, at exactly the time that crisis exploded in the university, so that this interdisciplinary initiative that was very generously funded by a major grant that was given to the university by the Kellogg Foundation mm -hmm. in 1985-86 to promote leadership, but which yeah. the university chose to interpret as inter, you know, interdisciplinarity, right? Okay. Well, that's, right? that's very interesting. These things, you know, they, they are sort of a particular cohort of faculty who were at that time really in between their mid-30s and mid-40s mainly had access to, you know, big resources mm -hmm. in order to, you know, build the, the interdisciplinary conversation that we were, you know, that they, we mm -hmm. were um, trying to imagine. Mm -hmm. um, and... The rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> How does that work um, in practice? I mean, knowing the English system and coming from the German system, compared to which the English one is a, is a hotbed of interdisciplinarity, um, and I remember that it always used to be a problem if anybody tried to do anything interdisciplinary, that the institutional framework would really work against that because it's all about in some way measuring performance, measuring excellence within a particular discipline and that the moment somebody <coughs> crosses disciplinary boundaries it gets much more difficult to say does this live up to the standards, do we want this, does this fit into the framework that we're looking for, so how is that negotiated? Well I think, <laughs> see it's slightly paradoxical because I think uh, you know the commitment to you know, measuring performance and outcomes that during the last 20 years has acquired hegemonic force in Western European higher education is often thought to be the adoption of a set of US practices. Mm. Whereas actually, uh, there's, there's and, and this is hugely variable by institutions, and that, you know, much of what I'm describing is probably particular to Michigan and this mm. rather fortunate you know conjuncture and convergence of mm. 
circumstances and a particular set of institutional traditions perhaps going further back. Um, but really, we don't have to deal with that kind of intrusive evalu evaluation. Mm. And so that was never an issue. So as opposed to a kind of experimental initiative that for the first time brought pe people from different departments around the same table on a regular basis with a commitment to a particular open-ended agenda. Mm -hmm. So that when we uh, put together our proposal, you know, 30 faculty from history, anthropology and sociology, when we put together our proposal to compete for this, you know, this, uh, this Kellogg money, it was called the Presidential Initiatives Fund, um, which in its, in its first year funded six projects, three big ones and three small ones. And um, I think the requirements that there should were that there should be faculty from three different departments, three different disciplines. Um, when we put together that uh, proposal, I don't think any of us knew what was what we wanted exactly to do, and and, and we envisaged a, a three-year uh, um, program in which the. I mean, the sequence of themes was something like structure, practice, and agency. Mm. And we wrote, you know, four people wrote this up. But actually, once we started, that was entirely abandoned. And we, we had um, also committed to uh, three conferences. We had basically uh, an evening seminar that everybody bought into. So this was a closed group. Also, I think that was important to its initial success because we, you know, we all made a collective commitment to, to come every two weeks. So we had a, a, a Thursday evening uh, seminar uh, every other week, you know, throughout those three years, and then continuing further into the then future with a lunchtime sort of brown bag meeting, mm. as we call them and with uh, funding to bring in three external speakers each term, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, and for the Thursday seminar, we always had a pre-circulated paper, you know, so that we went immediately into discussion without any oral presentations. Mm -hmm. So, we, and once we started that, then we, we had a steering committee and, you know, we were constantly changing the agenda you know, the agenda that we'd initially imagined. And we originally set it up as the equivalent, really, of a graduate student readings course. Mm -hmm. you know, so we had two weeks on class, two weeks on culture, yeah. two weeks on gender, two, right? But then as soon as we began the discussions and started fighting each other, <laughs> we started readjusting the, the, the thematics of the, of the seminar. And in the course of that, that original... Um, sort of sequence of big themes, you know, structure, practice, agency, got jettisoned. Mm. And so the three conferences in the end were on, uh, the first was on the, histor the historic turn in the human sciences, mm. the second was on power, 
and the third was on culture. And the first and the third produced a volume, and the second, for various reasons, we we decided not to publish a volume mm-hmm. around. So it became culture power history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were various other things that that sort of circulated around this program, around the same time, originally independently, but then it was really the same people. So it became you know the it became CSST, you know. It, wearing a different hat, slightly different hat, was a joint PhD program in anthropology and history, which has now uh, completed its uh, 20, 20, first 20 years uh, and is extraordinarily successful. Uh, and simultaneously, three of us um, began a book series with Princeton University Press, which we call Culture Power History, CPH. Uh, and I think we ran that for about uh, 10 years and then closed it, closed it down. Um, so, uh, and, and the, the, uh, initially, uh, there was a, an enormous amount of edginess around the table. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, every, uh, the, you know the, 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 the different disciplinary contingents were extremely nervous about surrendering territory or about putting, you know, putting themselves at risk. And so there was a lot of very passionate, you know, intellectual fighting, Mm -hmm. um, uh, which, uh, again, carried through, you know, for several years, but which also created, you know, like a a wonderful esprit, Mm -hmm. you know, because you were sort of really exploring things together and as I said said a little earlier that was the first time you know I went to Michigan in 79 and, the, and CSST began in 87 and until uh, CSST started there were no context in which you know one would sit around the seminar table with colleagues from another department with the partial exception of areas studies Right. But then that wasn't really interdisciplinary. It was it was a different kind of additive, mm. you know, bringing of, of of people from different disciplines together, as opposed to bringing them into direct conversation about common common uh, interests, common problems. Um, and by uh, uh, you know, if we fast forward to the mid nineties, by the mid nineties. Uh, joint appointments were becoming very, you know, much more common. Mm-hmm. The rules for joint appointments were changing, you know, in terms of the tenure rule that I mm-hmm. mentioned. Um, and new, smaller initiatives, you know, were being launched of an interdisciplinary kind. So that, in a lot of ways, CSST had done its work. Mm-hmm. And there were several of us who said, okay, we should now close it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and for about you know six or seven years, the the resistance to that, you know, uh, kept it going. But whereas uh, you know, for any one seminar or or visiting um, talk, that always be a, an impressive turnout. It was no longer the you know the the same group you know the same group mm. with continuity from session to session. It was more, you know, it was more, uh, you know, fluctuating uh, uh, 
groupings of faculty and graduate students depending on what the particular topic was. Mm -hmm. So that initial kind of concentrated, you know, very um, um, passionately integrated conversation across disciplines was no longer happening in CSST. It was sort of happening in a whole series of other places. Mm -hmm. Atlantic studies, for instance, mm -hmm. or, you know, histories of sexuality, or, you know, so a lot of uh, slavery and emancipation. Mm. So a lot of you know more um, focused uh, um, initiatives were you know effectively seeded by CSST mm. or you know inspired by CSST. So the CSST itself, had, 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 you know, was no longer necessary. You could say. And actually, we eventually we did close it down around 2002. Well, I think that's a really crucial part of the story, actually, that if interdisciplinarity <coughs> is formed out of some kind of imperative that arises both within right. the disciplines, but, but is also a historical imperative, it, it right. arises out of a set of historical issues. I mean, you've talked a lot in your um, over the last few days about the moment of the late 1960s, the kind of um, the, the, the political issues that arise out of that and the fact that at mm -hmm. that point all sorts of interdisciplinary conversations begin. Or I was thinking also when you were talking about, about feminism and ab yeah. about the fate of gender and women's studies in this country um, because, I mean, and that's, that is a very different story and of course a number of undergraduate and postgraduate programs, research centres and so on in gender and women's studies emerged mm -hmm. in the wake of second wave feminism and have now been actually very kind of cursorily closed down, I think, because there isn't the sort mm -hmm. of, there isn't a kind of socio-political impulse to keep them going. Um, and that's, that's kind of more problematic than I'm suggesting. But it's mm. a, I think it's also the case that numbers of colleagues who work in those fields um, are now kind of taking the insights that they gained from feminism um, into other interdisciplinary areas. So I'm thinking, for example, about um, we've talked about colleagues at well, there were colleagues at Lancaster, where the Centre for Gender and Women's Studies mm -hmm. has closed down, who've now moved across to Manchester in a new Centre for Cosmopolitan mm. Studies, or I'm not quite sure what it's called, but it's something of that kind. And that's drawing in um, a whole number of feminist intellectuals who are trying to think, I think, about... Oh, one of the things they're trying to think about is feminism in the context of globalisation um, mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. kind of area of um, debate about the cosmopolitan, the global, uh, and, and the kind of power networks within that seems to be becoming a field where a, a yeah. lot of feminists who were in gender and women's studies are now operating. So, of course, institutional initiatives are a very good thing, but they do have, they have a lifetime. Yeah, I, think that I, I agree. They, they, they have a finite mm. lifetime. Mm. And it's really hard you know, to, give something, you know, to give something up when it's been so important in mm. one's you know, collective, yes, intellectual, exactly. and exactly. other parts of one's life, mm. lives. Um, so, I mean, I think we're very lucky in at the University of Michigan because the university is quite creatively supportive mm. of new initiatives. Yeah, that's great. So it's always possible to get institutional backing for 
something of the kind that we've, we've, we've been uh, talking about. I'll give you another example, which I, in fact, I just learned a couple of days ago. Um, two years ago, uh, the, pr the president, you know, the, the uh, central administration, you know, we have, there's a president and then there's a provost and then there are the different schools, one of which is literature, science and arts, which is what I've been calling the college, right? Mm. So the president announced a new interdisciplinary initiative. And I forget what it's called, called, called exactly, but it's, it's, an, it, it, it's an interdisciplinary initiative that concentrates not on joint appointments, but on, uh, and these are junior appointments that are held exclusively within one discipline, but which are part of a cluster, a thematic cluster, that can have anything from three to five partners that together produces, you know, creates this, uh, this uh, uh, group of people appointed 100% in each of their own disciplines, mm. but with the intention of creating, you know, a, a, a longer term sort of, uh, um, I'm not explaining this very well, mm -hmm. but, a, a, you know, a longer term um, sort of uh, uh, cross-departmental integration behind, mm. a, you know, com common, uh, common th thematics that unites scholarly work and teaching. Mm. Okay, so to give you an example, um, in the first year of this program, um, virtually all of this, so in other words, there's a, there's a, the, the, the proposals require collaboration across disciplines yes. for a common project, mm. right? And in the first year of this program, uh, virtually all of the uh, positions, and I think a hundred were, crea were created, a hundred new positions, right? And in the first year, I think they uh, awarded 20 of these, 20, 25. They all went to the sciences, engineering, you know, so to that kind of interdisciplinary life sciences, right? So in the second year, and I, you know, I, I should preface this by saying that I, 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 I just finished the first year of chairing the history department, but at the start of this past year, we figured that probably this year there'd be a strong likelihood of the humanities and the social sciences getting a piece of this, mm. okay? So we, the history department, initiated two collaborations. One of which sort of fell by the wayside because the collaborate, you know, the collaborating departments weren't, you know, kind of up to snuff. Basically, they weren't. They weren't as committed. Uh, but the one that we really spearheaded and followed through on is called I forget what it's called E E E I D or something. But it's about it. Really, is global environmental studies. Yeah. Okay, uh, and our collaborators uh, on this are uh, Africa uh, CAS, which is mm -hmm. the Center for African and Afri uh, African American Studies, uh, the School of Information, uh, 
uh, School of Natural Resources and History. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there may be another, I think there were a couple of other collaborators that fell by the wayside, like the law school, for instance, and, mm -hmm. uh, and somebody else. What we got, we just heard we got one. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. We got mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And our emphasis, uh, uh, the sort of more specific emphasis, was actually on uh, Asia and Africa. And in particular, China and, and Africa, right? And so, uh, and the, so, I think there are, you know, there are five collaborating units. Each of them gets one of these positions. Mm -hmm. The idea is that a structure should be created to ensure that the intellectual collaboration, you know, is actually realised. It materialises when these people are appointed. Mm -hmm. And in the first year, I think. Um, uh, CAS and the School of Information will run their searches and then history will do it the year after. Mm -hmm. So that's another example of actually a, a pretty interesting initiative. Absolutely. I mean, which I... requires, you know, like a lot of work yeah. to put, you know, to, in order to, you know, get behind, but which can translate into, uh, into, uh, really important uh, um, innovative work and actually gives us a, a new position. Well, that's the, that's the crucial thing. I mean, there has to be somebody driving it. I mean, I've been, as you've been talking, I've been noting down a number of initiatives apart from the IAS over the last yeah. five years maybe in, in Warwick. And we've had two, um, the Higher Education <coughs> Funding Council um, tendered for bids for centres of excellence in teaching and learning. Yeah. And Warwick got two, um, and one of them is the Capital Centre, five yeah. more minutes maybe, um, is the Capital Centre downstairs, which yeah. works across the departments of English and Theatre Studies, and initially set up... Well, it's, I don't or know what is. Capital stands for, I can't remember. But anyway, um, it's uh, their, their initial collaboration, this isn't working quite the same way anymore, but initially w it was with the Royal Shakespeare Company, and they were bringing in um, expertise from the RSC. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, was a, it was at a point where the RSC was... Um, I don't know if you know, but the theatre is being completely reconstructed. I do and, know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. They, they ran this fantastic year-long festival of the complete works of Shakespeare. Uh -huh. And Jonathan Bate, in, um, in English, was very involved in that. He, yeah. he edited a new volume of the collected works, and he, wrote, he, he was working very closely with the I RSC. See doing programs and so on. Um, so there's a set, there, were a set, there was a set of relationships already in place, and the yeah. Centre for Excellence in T Teaching and Learning, which is not a research initiative primarily, it is about teaching, um, was set up to explore ways of introducing performance um, in lots of different ways into teaching. Yeah. So it's a different um, you know, understanding of the educational process, the pedagogic process, I suppose. So that's one example. Um, another one is um, Mike Neary's Reinvention Centre, um, which again was a teaching initiative because they were Centres mm -hmm. of Excellence in Teaching and Learning. Um, but it was created, I mean, Mike came out of, sort of was based in sociology and had a background in social theory. And, and I think on the initial poster that they, that they, um, that they had at the, at the launch, um, there was the quote from Marx about the point is not to understand the world, the point is to change it. And there... Anyway, um, there, there, those are two, those are two and, mm -hmm. and the idea was to explore kind of 
um, collaborative ways of teaching. Right. Um, so that, for example, Mike came and talked to the GEM department, and uh, one of the things that they did uh, in the first couple of years in, in one of Mark, Mike's courses was the students wrote a book. Um, yeah. They did um, basic research and they wrote a book, and that was what they were doing in their in the course. Um, it, so that's and the, there there have been other research initiatives like the Centre for mm. Global History, DigiLab. Um, I can't think of any others, but there have been numbers of kind of cross-faculty research yeah. initiatives which are trying to do the sorts of things right. that you're talking about, albeit with um, with less resources. Yeah. It has to be said, yeah. but there is there is money around for yeah. that kind of thing. What I'm wondering, I was thinking about the anti-Semitism workshop that you ran yesterday, and what I'm wondering is whether sometimes, because I know I know the the history of some of these centres, and I know there does come a point when mm. the initial charge has kind of gone out of the project mm. or people move on or whatever and then the question is do we sustain it or do we uh, do we actually fold it because it's done its work it's disseminated practice across the university it's created new clusters of interest and I wonder because I know you've been in, I mean my sense is that the workshop you ran yesterday you ran yesterday comes out of a, an, a, an international network actually that you're involved in that's only a kind of collab a set of collaborative Conversations that you're having both inside Warwick and beyond, and and I I just well I, I suppose I don't know the status of that workshop in that context and whether whether that that the the kind of conversations that you've been having should lead to the establishment of let's say a centre for um, study centre for Jewish studies or whatever in in Warwick or whether there's something more fluid that is is often just as productive particularly when you're talking about cross-institutional initiatives, not just within mm -hmm. a university, but, but more widely? I would say it's too early to tell yet, mm. but there was certainly a, a feeling, I think, that this would be worth continuing and meeting again and just see what, what comes out of that, which I think is, is the far better way to go about it, if you can, than to say, here's a funding opportunity, let's mm. set up something to to be able to, to fill that with the content, to rather see if the content carries something that, that then wants to be institutionalised. Yeah, mm. I really agree with that. You see, I don't, I, I don't think you, it's, it's, it's possible easily to graft, you know, a kind of an interdisciplinary mm. conversation or, or an interdisciplinary initiative onto, you know, a kind of an existing set of relations among the disciplines and among the faculty within those disciplines unless there's you know unless there's something kind of rising from mm. below mm. so to speak mm. um, and it seems to me that one of the things that, that the IAS can most fruitfully do is just to provide you know a space and modest resources for mm. groups like you know the workshop that we had yesterday on anti-Semitism, to gather, and you know the, the 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 value can be disproportionately great, you know, in terms of the facilitation of conversations that wouldn't otherwise easily easily happen, mm. simply because in the everydayness of our lives in the university we're kind of bunkered into our de departmental. Mm activities and spaces, right? 
So whereas if you can once, you know, uh, you know, with some modest incentives, you know, provide um, simply the physical space is mm. in incredibly important. Absolutely. Uh, with say a very modest budget for bringing in a couple of speakers or for you know financing a small small scale workshop, then you can invite groups across the disciplines to cohere mm. and coalesce. Mm. And then, later, you know, you may then have the foundation for something more and more, amb more ambitious in terms of creating a center. Uh, but I, but I, I, I do think that there's a kind of kaleidoscopic, you know, quality to how interdisciplinary work develops and then ref you know reforms regroups mm -hmm. you know and I think one should one should ac accept that actually mm -hmm. as an as an as an important virtue rather than a failure mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. because things do have a fine you know many things at least have a you know a, a finite life in that respect well that might be a moment on which to close the conversation I think <laughs>